You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. Thank you for joining us on this Matt 28 Evening in Discipleship. So I get to share with you tonight about something that excites me personally. Um, Something that my family has been on a journey over the past couple of years, um, wrestling through, thinking through how to get better at. Um, I'm still learning, and I think each season of life will challenge us in different ways to think about holidays and traditions in a different way. Um, So tonight is just all about the importance of traditions, okay? Um, What I want to do for you tonight is three different things. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge the way you think about uh, your traditions that you have. I want to uh, encourage you. I want to show you um, examples in Scripture of how traditions have been used, how th- why they're important, um, and then I want to inspire you. I want you to feel like you can walk out of here and start thinking about your own traditions and how can we be more intentional. Um, so, again, I'm not the expert on this. Later on during our discussion time, I really want it to be more of an idea-sharing time. Because um, I think we all benefit from hearing about what one another um, is doing around our holidays and traditions that really, again, point our hearts towards honoring Christ um, through those celebrations that we have. So um, so I want to have kind of an idea sharing later, um, and we can have some discussion to our questions. Um, so those are kind of my three main goals for our time uh, here tonight. Uh, So we'll start with kind of the challenge. So I I just want you to think about the traditions that you have. Um, Think about ways that you celebrate holidays, uh, special occasions, anniversaries, and, um, you know, just kind of try to capture that in your mind um, for a second, uh, you know, the the traditions that you have. And then I want you to think about why you do those um, certain traditions. Why Why are they connected with that holiday or with that special occasion? Like what's um, what's the why behind them? Um, and I think if you think about it uh, long enough, you might come to the conclusion that that's just how we always have done it. That's what we do. Um, that's the why is because. Um, or, you know, you don't want to be that person that kind of wants to change things because then everybody thinks that you were never satisfied with what you were doing before. And so um, I think for a lot of traditions or ways that we celebrate, we just kind of ended up there. Um, Maybe it's because that's how the rest of society says you should celebrate this. Um, Or maybe it's because great uh, Aunt Myrtle said, this is how we do this. And Aunt Myrtle's been passed away for several years. And that was great when, she was alive and it's special to her. Maybe we keep doing it because it was special to her. Maybe we don't like it and we do something different. Um, so think about the why and then think about uh, what do they mean? So the ways that we celebrate, what do they mean? Like what's connected to them? Um, is there anything, any kind of depth to why we celebrate the way that we do? So we're really trying to like dig into what, you know, the 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 first part is to think about your traditions. We're trying to dig into What's behind it all? Um, which leads us to the final question here is, is there a purpose behind them? Like, are those celebrations um, doing something to us, doing something for us? Is there some type of um, guiding aspect to them that kind of um, points us in a direction to think about something or to focus on something? Or is it more just, um, you know, more like the, celebration or the tradition kind of owns us and so we have to go do it or are we using it for our purposes Um, and that's what I want us to that's kind of the the underlying challenge here is for us to think about how we can use our traditions our the ways that we celebrate to serve us Um, instead of the being ways that we celebrate uh, more like a a chore or a burden um, that we have so this discussion, this topic, is for all of us. Um, it may sound more family-driven, um, but it's not. It's for individuals. It's for married people who don't have kids. 
It's for families. It's for groups of friends. It's for all of us um, because we all celebrate in some way special occasions. So if you have a special occasion in your life, um, this is for you. Um, and you do have special occasions because as believers, we celebrate Christmas and Easter. So we have special occasions. So this is for all of us um, to think about here today. Um, so what I hope to, well, that's kind of what the challenge here um, that we have is we're kind of wrestling through this. Um, and so now I want to move to encouraging you. And with that, I want to uh, pose this question is whose captives are we? Um, and so with that, I'm actually going to turn to Colossians 2. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians 2 with me. Um, so this is Paul. And he's writing, and I'm going to read probably, um, yeah, verses 1 through 17. And I just want you to think to yourself, what's at stake here? Like, what is in the balance of what's happening here, and, and, and what are the two different outcomes of that? All right, so, so kind of listen carefully uh, as I go through here. Um, so the beginning of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made, made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So he kind of goes on to talk about what we've received in Christ. But in verse 8, he talks about being taken captive. Being taken captive by worldly tradition. Um, he says spiritual, I'm sorry, elemental spirits of the world. And he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by those things. But it's not about not being taken captive. It's about being taken captive according to Christ. So there's Either two, there's two different outcomes here. We get taken captive by what's around us. He talks later about how to deal with meat, like this is uh, how you have to handle it. This is if you can or can't eat it. And he's like, don't worry about those things. Like, focus on the main point here, which is Christ. Don't get bogged down in what's not the most important, which is Christ. He says, be taken captive according to Christ, not according to what all these other things that, that people say you have to do it like this and, and it has to be um, um, done this way or celebrated like this or you've got to go through this routine. Um, and we see that a lot with our holidays that we have as believers. Like Christmas almost feels like it's been overtaken and, and Easter as well. Like now the world owns it and tells us how to celebrate it. And so Paul is is challenging them to... Um, to focus on what's most important, to be taken captive according to Christ, not according to the worldly traditions that we have. And so um, I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to challenge yourself to begin to see clearly through your traditions. Not to say um, get rid of everything um, that the world has to offer, but at, at least examine it and use it. Um, to point you in, in, in your heart towards Christ. Um, so the, the next thing I wanted to um, kind of help frame up is our limited amount of time. 
um, that we have. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of somebody taking a ruler, kind of helping you think through um, how much life you have left, um, because this is inches and we live in years. Um, so what I want you to do is I want you to think of each inch as eight years. So if you do the math, you'd be 96 if you reached um, 12 inches. So for some of us, we're further along. So I don't know if there are any eight-year-olds in here, 16, 24, 32. So I'm a little, I'm around the 32 range. So I'm right here uh, at the four inches. Um, and then think about the fact that you will spend a third of the rest of your life sleeping, right? So if you get eight hours of sleep, eight hours is a third of 24. So now we're going to kind of cut this into thirds here, which I'm going to say is probably about right here. Um, now, I don't know about you, but um, in between the ages, yeah, my quick math was somewhere right here. So um, this is, what did I say? 96, and so we go eight years back, so now we're at 88, uh, and then eight years back, now we're at 80, so I'm just going to go ahead and say at 80, I'm probably going to be mentally checked out in some way, shape, or form, um, so just care for me, um, visit me, please, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm right here in this range, so this is really the space that I'm working with right here. Um, in terms of just time to invest, time to um, to pour into others, um, time to pour into my family. Um, so there's not a whole lot of active time, uh, investable time left. And so kind of imagine yourself on this ruler too, wherever you might be. Think about the fact too that um, if you work eight hours a day, five days a week um, for the next 30 years, you can go ahead and take off another inch. Um, because that equates to eight years of time that you will actually be at work, um, which is not to say that you won't invest in someone's life at work. Um, but if we're thinking in terms of family and friends, um, unless you work with your family and friends, that's great. Um, but that would be another inch off the ruler. So just kind of let that um, challenge you, inspire you, encourage you. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to share, if you do have children, um, and they are in between the ages of two years old and uh, 18 years old, you have 16 sets of holidays or special occasions if they're annual left to spend with them, opportunities to leverage those special occasions to shape their hearts, to remind them of what's most important. You have 832 weeks left with them. Um, and if you're like my family, we are going through the book of Psalms one chapter a week. You can go through the book of Psalms only five and a half times from the age of two to 18, if, if your kids plan on moving out at 18. You can only go through Psalms five and a half times. Um, so that's something that we're doing, but I just wanted to kind of put it in a, in a frame of reference for you. If your kids are 10 years old, you only have half of all of those numbers before they turn 18 and potentially would, would move out. So we've got a limited amount of time here, and I don't think we always live that way. I think with our traditions, the way that we celebrate, oftentimes it's just, it just happens to us. We don't plan for it. We don't think about it ahead of time. It just comes, and we know what it's going to be like because it's always that way. We just kind of go into it, and it, no shocker there, it's the way that it normally is. And then we move on to the next thing. And so I want to challenge you with the thought of you don't have forever to make an impact in this way um, on your own heart and on the hearts of others um, with the traditions, with the ways that you celebrate. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is I looked at a study recently, and I'll be honest, uh, you know, I'm kind of the type that I look at a study and it's like, is this, you know, it's like, is this real life? Like that kid comes from the dentist's office and he's still kind of past eyes. Like, is this real? Life? Like, it's just hard to tell if that's really what it means. But anyways, it, it looked at different generations. So uh, we've got like the boomer generation, the baby boomer, boomer generation. Uh, we've got Generation X right after that. We've got millennials right after that. And then we've got Generation Z. Um, 
I've never put much into generations either because I'm like in the middle of generation Z and millennials. So I just kind of feel like nobody cares about me because I'm like on the fence. So I could be anything. Don't tell me what I am. Um, so it's a, it was a study on generations and they're trying to figure out, you know, what is valuable to generation Z? You know, those who are the youngest. Um, and I think the oldest that they can be right now is like 18 years old. Um, so it's still pretty young. Um, so they couldn't get a whole lot of information, and that probably tainted the answers that they got as well because they're kids. Um, and one of the things that they discovered in their study was that they were the only generation who said that their family was not the most important thing to them in terms of who they were. All other th- The other three generations all placed that number one on their list. Um, now, again, these are, I think they studied like 13 to 18-year-olds, so families probably something they're trying to get away from. But it was the first time that any generation said that their family wasn't what was most important um, in terms of who they are, um, their identity that they have. Uh, family was number five on their list. They had uh, professional and educational achievement. Um, they, had, they even had hobbies um, was like their number two in terms of what was most important to them where they find their identity. Um, So there's coming a generation that it looks as if um, there's going to be this disconnect with with their family, what's uh, those close relationships that they have um, with with other people. Um, So I think that that should cause us to kind of stop and reevaluate as well. Um, If you have kids, if you invest in younger people, um, to think about that um, and to think about what's in the balance for them and where they find their identity. Um, I'm going to pop up this quote right here. And I saw this quote a couple of years ago, and it really stopped me. It says, one generation believes something, the next assumes it, and the third will forget and deny it. Um, very quickly, you know, I think about the Israelites, right? And just their, you know, roller coaster of obedience and disobedience. And um, and then I go straight to myself and my generation. And I think about the opportunity that I have, that we have, to impact future generations. Um, and I, I often think about, and I, I, I've talked with some of you about how this challenges me in a way that, that like, I want to reset the bar for myself, for my family, um, for my church body. I want to reset the bar in terms of what normal Christian faith looks like lived out. Because if we're able to reset that bar, then that third generation has a better chance at living faithfully as believers. If we allow society to tell us and to, to, to put us in a place where they say, this is what it looks like to live as a Christian. Don't be different. Don't take it too seriously because it'll look odd. You won't fit in. Now we're in trouble. Now we begin to, um, to fall into a trap where we slowly start to separate from incorporating truth that we find in Scripture and finding ways to continue to strengthen it for ourselves Um, for the next generation and the next generation. So this quote is something that that I go back to um, occasionally, and it just kind of grips me uh, when I think about, you know, how I'm living my life um, out and and how I'm living my faith out. Um, So now I want us to think about the purpose of traditions and... um, Real quick, I've got the PowerPoint up here because I am talking through a lot of things and I want you to not just hear me talk and you start to get tired um, from me talking a lot. So it's something for you to look at. It's got a white background, which is bright, okay? So you can look at it. And it also um, gets you to look over there for a split second, not at me, so that's nice. Um, so think about traditions, how we celebrate. The purpose is to help us understand and know God. Now, that's not any tradition, right? Those are Christ-focused traditions. 
They lead us to understanding more and knowing God more. That's the the goal for us as we're thinking about creative ways to take our regular celebrations, ways that we normally would go through holidays or special occasions, and change them to where they they give us a better understanding and a, a, a deeper knowledge, excuse me, of who God is. So I've got three different ways that um, that this works. The first one is um, they remind us of what God has done. So um, we can uh, we can think about Christmas, and the first thing that we believers normally are drawn to is what God has done in the past for us. Um, we also should be able to think about not just what he's historically done, but how that affects us personally. Like, he did do that, and that was a miracle, and the world needed that, but I'm also connected to that. So we th- when, we, uh, when we work to create a Christ-focused celebration of that tradition, now I start, my heart gets pointed towards not just what Christ did, but now I'm thinking about how that affects me personally. And the same thing with Easter, right? That's something that happened in the past, but it was huge for me. It was huge for us and what was done. Um, so there's this, uh, this past component that comes that's very important in helping us understand and know God. It's also helpful for kids, right, to know um, and understand God more fully when we incorporate those different ways of celebrating. Um, it also reminds us of what God will do. So we can look at those same holidays And in the same way that it reminds us of what God did in the past, it also reminds us that he's doing something in the future. And it points us to a future hope, particularly Easter, right? So that is something that God did in history, but it's something that points us to what he will do in the future. And it also means something for me personally. So there's a a uniqueness to it that if we are intentional and creative in how we celebrate it, now our hearts become more in tune with thinking about those things, um, which, as we think about those things, leads our, our hearts to be um, filled and overflowing with praise, right? I mean, we begin to worship when we think about those things. It's not just a history lesson that on Columbus Day he discovered America, right? It's Jesus was born and I needed him to be born. And God left heaven to come to live uh, a sinless life for me. Like it is an impactful, worshipful experience when we are drawn to think about those holidays and those occasions in that more Christ-focused way. Um, so those are really kind of the, the three different components we think about um, the purpose of traditions. They help us understand and know God um, more fully. And that is powerful for us as believers. It's also powerful for people that we know who aren't believers. When they get exposed to your traditions and, and, and the ways that you celebrate and they begin to see it, now they're wondering, why do you do that? I mean, what's, how's that connected with what you do? Um, which leads me to the, the second aspect of this is that it prepares others to believe in him. Um, so I can't give salvation to my kids or to other people that I know. I can't pass it down. I can't sell it to them. I cannot give that to them. But I can help prepare their hearts to be a tool for what God will do in them. I can be used by him in a more meaningful way through the way that I bring unbelievers along to celebrate this with me to help um, soften or, or till the ground for what God will plant in that person's life. Um, so there's a unique opportunity with the traditions that we have, whether it, whether it is our kids, um, whether it's, it's friends that we, that we have, um, or whether it's for our, our own hearts and, and our own selves in appreciating this more fully um, and worshiping through our tradition and how we're celebrating. Um, so that, for me, 
is a good picture of the purpose of traditions, of the way that we celebrate um, those special occasions. Um, so now I want to give you some examples of different traditions that we find in Scripture. Um, and one thing you're going to notice is that God made children to be inquisitive, and he knows he made children to be inquisitive. Um, so I'm going to read through a couple of um, passages, and you'll see the uniqueness of how God uses children um, in traditions um, with uh, Israelites. So we're going to turn first to Exodus, and we're going to look at the Passover. So this is um, right before the 10th plague, which is the death of the firstborn. We know the Passover is when God told them to take the blood of the lamb and to put it over their doorway because the angel um, or the angel of death there would pass over their house, so Passover, right? But he didn't just tell them to do that and said, this is what happened. If you turn to chapter 12, um, verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. I like that. Take a bunch. <laughs> Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. So it's like a celebration. I want you to keep doing this every year. Like keep this. And then he says, and when your children say to you. Now pause for a second. He doesn't say, if the kids ask, why are we doing this? If the kids ever wonder, he says, when they ask you. God knows how he's created them. He knows that, that they will ask He's setting this out into the future for the purpose of showing the kids and reminding the parents, right? When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. It says, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So uh, think about that unique celebration um, and how God planned intentionally for the Israelites to use that, to use it to, to teach the kids, to use it to show the kids who God is, to show his grace, that he would give them a way to be protected, to show characteristics of God to their kids about what he did, about who God is, but then also for the parents, don't forget what I did for you. Don't you forget either. And so this thing continues, this celebration, this feast continues to go on um, through throughout Israel to remind them. There are times when they obviously are disobedient and don't do the feast, and then they come back and they're like, oh, we got we forgot we got to do the feast. And, um, and you can actually... Uh, Jen's the the Old Testament um, guru in, in our in our house, and she, I was talking to her about the Passover feast. She kind of lit up, and she's naming all the other feasts, and you know, here's what it signifies, and, and here's what it means. And I said, "Honey, this is about traditions. You can sign up to do you know talk on feasts." Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but but even the other feast had some type of component that was meant to remind the Israelites of of God's character, of what happened. Um, that was this thing that was set out for them to continue to bring them back to what God had done, his faithfulness. Um, the next one is uh, these uh, memorial stones. So in Joshua, I really like this one. This one's good. Um, Joshua chapter 4. Um, so they're they're crossing the Jordan here. Okay, Moses uh, has died, 
and now it's time for them to actually go into the promised land. So Joseph is the new leader. But there's a problem. They're going to pass the Jordan during the time when it's flooded, right? It's not the dry season. And so, you know, God, what have you done? You've led us here. You're telling us to cross this thing. And this is the worst time to cross the Jordan, which is the best time for God to show who he is, right? So chapter 4, um, uh, God tells Joshua to tell the priest to uh, to pick up the um, the tabernacle. Let's see. Uh, let me see if it's in this section. I'll just start reading. It says, uh, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each... Each uh, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's foot stood firmly. Bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. So he's like, get twelve guys, tell them to get the big rocks out of the river, and bring them over here where we're going to camp out tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. So if you think about a stone that fits on your shoulder, this isn't like a little skip stone, right? I mean, it's a, it's a rock. So go out there, get something, you know, and if you're one of the 12, you're like, oh, I want to see what kind of rock I can get, you know, like I represent the tribe of Judah, Let me, you know. Um, so these weren't little rocks here. Um the Bible does not say that. Uh, he says, pass on before the ark, um, da, 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 according to the number of the tribes of people of Israel. So verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. It doesn't stop there. Um, verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Now we start to see a more complete picture. Tell your kids when they ask about these stones what I did for you today at the Jordan. And how I also did it at the Red Sea. So now it's a memorial set up for reminding of this time, but also of that time. I want you to remember who I am. I want you to, uh, to remind your children of who I am. This is my character displayed before you. He goes on, he says, uh, As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Now he says, so that. So that the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So that the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Set these stones up so that everybody else knows how mighty a God I am. And so that you fear me. Right after that. In chapter 5, it says, As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted. The very purpose that he had for that occurrence, for that miracle, and for these stones to be a reminder of is already accomplishing his goal of showing the people of the earth God's might, his character, who he is. Understand and know this God through what he's done. And here's a reminder to you. Because you won't be able to look at the Jordan River and remember, because it's going to be a river. But you will be able to look at these stones and ask, why are these here? Why are these important? 
and tell your kids about when I dried up this the Jordan River and also when I did it back at the Red Sea. So there's these intentional reminders that are set out to be used. Um, the last one is the rainbow, right? Everybody knows that story, or at least you thought you did. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8 says, Then God said to Noah and to and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. So this is after the flood. And God's, you know, he's telling him, look, I won't do this again. Um, and, you know, I'm promising you that I won't do it again. Um, he says, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now I think we teach our kids that the rainbow is a reminder to us that God will never flood the earth again. But it's not a reminder for us. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. It's a reminder for God. He has set a reminder for him to say, I remember, I see that, and it connects me back to that promise I made. Now, if God has something to remind him of his own character, I think it's important for us to set up our own reminders to point us back to his character. I think that's why he's so intentional with the nation of Israel and the feasts that they have and, and the 12 stones and, and other times that he's, he's put things out there and said, when your children ask, remind them because it shows a piece of me. It teaches them a piece of me and it strengthens your trust in me um he goes on he says uh when the bow is in the clouds i'll see it and remember the everlasting covenant between god and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth i wonder what our kids would think if we told them that when there is a rainbow that god sees it um, and it reminds him of that promise that he made that God reminds himself of the promises that he made. I think my kids would appreciate that even more, right? It's not just about them seeing it and being reminded of it, but that when God sees it, it reminds him of that promise that he made. I want to give you two examples of a couple of, uh, of two people who were passionate, um, not necessarily about tradition, but about being intentional about um, uh, even protecting um, their heritage. Um, so Nehemiah, you, you may know, is the guy who, um, after uh, Israel is taken to, into captivity, he becomes a cupbearer for the king there, uh, discovers that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and asks if he can go back and help build the walls back up, Right. Um, so in his mind, he wants to go back and help bring Jerusalem back to what it was before because he knows how important it is to his people, to his nation. And, of course, he's hoping that it someday they'll all come back to Jerusalem. Um, so Nehemiah in um, chapter 4, he's got some opposition. There's some people who are actually Israelites that weren't forced to leave who were like, hey, what are you doing? That's not going to ever work. It, don't rebuild the walls. There's too much rubble. Um, you don't need to do that. Um, and so Nehemiah, um, he accepts the challenge and he says, I'm not going to stop. Um, in fact, what we're going to do is we're going to arm ourselves while we work because this is important to us. Like we're going to keep doing this because this is important for my people, um, and for, for who we are. Like, we want to come back. We want the temp we want God's presence back in the temple. Like this is important to us. Um, so there's a place um before or I guess when Nehemiah is has heard the um 
that these people are out to get them. They want to harm them. They want to keep them from doing what they're doing. Um, And in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Remember the Lord. So he's talking to everybody that he's working with, who's, who's with him. He says, Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, sons, daughters, wives, and your homes. So to me, it's kind of like a, almost like a William Wallace moment, you know, like, you know, fight for, for your family, fight for your loved ones. Like this is important to us. He says, remember God who is great and awesome. He has called us to this and then fight for these people because this is important for them. And I think that's the same type of mentality we should take in, in using our traditions and our celebrations. Like, we're fighting for the hearts of others. We're fighting for our own heart. And I think we should take that same type of mentality and how we're intentional with how planful we are around our traditions and celebrations that we have. That there is this, um, there is this captivity that's taking place. And it's either being held captive according to Christ or being held captive according to worldly traditions like we saw in Colossians. And so there is a battle, and we are called to fight. And so our weapon is, in this this way, is, is our tradition, is the way that we celebrate. That's the weapon that we have to yield in fighting for the hearts of our loved ones and for our own hearts in this way. The other one I wanted to show you is is uh, Peter. So in Second um, Peter, I'm going to go to Second Peter uh, chapter one verse twelve. Um, so he's already talked to them about um, their calling. He's talked to them about the life that they're called to in verses three through eleven, and then he says um, in twelve through fourteen, he says, "Therefore I intend always." to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So he says, I intend always to remind you, even though you know, I'm still going to remind you. He says, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. So he wants to encourage, he wants to bring to life what is in these people by reminding them. And that's what these traditions become, is these reminders that we've set out. It's like a stake in the ground that we've put out into the future to say, when this happens this year, this is going to be a reminder for us. We're going to use this for for our hearts in this way. So we're throwing this out there by, by way of reminder. Um, so then he says, um, and I think this is is Peter's goal in this, he says, Uh, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. So Peter knows he's about to die. The Lord told him he's about to die. He says, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I think that's an awesome goal for us to have for those future generations, for our friends and our family. That if we're gone, they can remember. But that means that we have to make every effort, take advantage of those opportunities in the meantime. If we want that to be something that they can hold on to, that they can go back to, that we have to be intentional before that opportunity is gone. Maybe it doesn't mean that you die, but maybe it means that you, um, you move away. Or maybe it means that you swap jobs. You work somewhere else now. Like, take advantage of those opportunities so that after you're not there, they can, they can remember. They can be reminded of those things. Um, I've got one kind of last point just to conclude with here. Um, and it's just this thought that it's not a matter of will or won't our traditions influence us, but how, right? So we're learning something from how we celebrate. It may not be worth anything right now um, if it's something that we just kind of do, but we are learning something. We're being shaped in some way. So it's not that we haven't started yet, so it's not 
doing anything to us. We're learning something from how we are celebrating those things now. So there's a list of the traditions right there. Um, I'm sorry, list of ways to celebrate. And it's not a concise, exhaustive list. Um, And I wanted to go through them and just see if other people had ideas of ways to celebrate. Um, So we'll kind of start with Christmas. Um, Based on what you don't see on the list there, what are some other ways you know of of, um, celebrating kind of a Christ-focused way that you have heard of or that your family actually participates in? Baby Jesus, right, Jeremy? <laughs> Jordy was baby Jesus and almost got dropped, but um, <laughs> and Joseph hit him in the head with a staff. That was right. We had a staff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we read the which that's on there. We read. We got a thing to finish staff inspection. <laughs> Um, I think that there are, like, um, there are concepts to to Christmas and Easter that I think don't necessarily have to be, um, you know, specifically tied to the story in, like, the same way that it happened. So, for instance, like, how could we show ourselves the, um, um, I guess, the how Christ left heaven, and 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 left those things to come here as a man as as a baby as an infant like how could you portray that concept in in a creative way to say this is what where he was this is what he he had this is the glory that he had in this way but he gave it up and came here and became this like so you can just think too about different concepts and how could i show this to uh, to someone else, or how could I experience that in this way? Is there something that I could do that would speak to me that I could um, think about kind of, um, you know, displaying that aspect of Christmas um, for myself? So there's even just other ways, like concepts and things that you're just like, man, he did that for us. Like, how can I set up a way to experience that in, in a small way? To, to speak to my heart or to speak to uh, to other people's hearts as well. Um, so you can think about different aspects of each one in that way too. And just get creative. That's what I love about this is that, you know, you don't just have to like, it doesn't have to fit inside this like holiday box. Uh, it's like find any way to do it. Um, so I wanted to go through a couple of pictures of some of our Christmas traditions. So, the way that I tried to do this was I did I tried to put up a picture of the very first one that we did, 
and then like the most recent one that we did. Um, so you can kind of see the difference in, in their ages and stuff. So um, the first one is our Shepherd's Night. Um, so just to ex- kind of explain that, like before Christmas, we go out to a field um, in the evening when it's dark and we read through Luke 2. We pretend what the shepherds would have experienced as we're just kind of looking up at the stars. Um, and then we have our headlamps out and then we like shine them because like the glory of the Lord, you know, shines with the angels. And then um, the kids try their best to like quote, you know, what the angel says and they love playing. We normally take hot chocolate if it's cold outside. Sometimes we've worn T-shirts. Um, we just don't know in Georgia. So it's just a different way to like, let's make this real because it is, you know, let's point our hearts back to this that happened. Um, so this was, I think, our first night. Um, that's Uncle Al in the background back there. Um, and there's, I think there's some kids in those poofy jackets somewhere. Um, so we went out. Um, that was a pretty cold night right there. We tried to find like a, so the hunter complex, like a ball field somewhere that's kind of opened up where you can look and see um, the sky. Uh, I think this was this last year, so we we brought Grandma along, and we're all in the van headed out together. Um, and uh, so, so... I saw one tradition in that first picture that we both share, Christmas tree cake. Yes, so that is a vital part and a great way to bring the kids into it, right? You know, um, great way to get them to join in is Christmas tree cake. Uh, that stuff is addictive um so i've got this list and i think that's kind of included on your sheets as well so what about easter what are some ways some ideas that you have that aren't captured there ways that you have celebrated uh easter and in a christ focused way what are some some things that you've um begun to incorporate or heard of others doing took them and sat them down in the living room and opened them up and each one had a word so like empty tomb and she talked about empty tomb or 30 pieces of silver and talked about the meaning behind that and um, it was sweet the girls were real patient because it took a while they were like 20 eggs and so um, that was fun and then she let them go do like what they consider the real Easter egg hunt but you know like hopefully the more we do that over the years you know obviously like the resurrection becomes a real you know one that they look forward to doing more than the tomb yeah. They ask some good questions, too. We got to have yeah. some uh, gospel conversations. Like, Jesus is alive. Mm-hmm. He's like, he is? Yeah. He's alive. Because yeah. it's like, they've heard that, you know, he rose from the grave. But then when she was like, and he's alive in heaven right now, they were like, Oh, cool. what it represents. Yeah. So we do that every Easter. Yeah. 
Spices like right. Jesus' body was anointed with oil and spices as well. Uh-huh. And then so they explain the you explain linen. all that to them, and they then you wrap his body in linen, and then when you put it in the tomb, the oven, um, it comes out in like um. I wanted to go through. So we've got. I think we've got more Easter Easter traditions that we do than Christmas ones. Um, so I was going to go through a couple of photos on here. So um, this is the one I think you've Adam's mentioned it, or he mentioned it last time as a gravesite visit. So this was the first one that we did, and uh, AJ's there. He's just in the womb, um, and so this was the first time that we went. And I'll be honest, at first it was like, we want to do what, um, you know? Because but then when you start to like make the connection, it's like, you know what? That's that's going to really put this thing into perspective and into reality for us. Um, it helps me because I get to know uh, Jen and Adam's family um, because we tell stories about their loved ones that they have and um, funny memories that they have, things that they enjoyed about them. Um, and this past year, uh, Jen's mom and my mom both went, so they got to be a part of it as well and, and experience it. So it's just a way that we kind of make the reality of the resurrection and how Jesus is the first fruits of what we will eventually experience and how our believing loved ones who are buried here will also experience that and we'll get to spend time with them, a lot of time with them, uh, getting to know them. Um, and that just because, you know, their their bodies are buried here, um, that, you know, we still can have joy knowing that um, that one day, um, we'll be able to to see them again. So this was the first one, and then I kind of put a couple of pictures up here. Um, so this is not the most recent one. Um, Maggie's holding Mally um, in one of those, but I really couldn't pick one of them to put up here. So you kind of see them throughout the years. So um, this is Adam's granddad, who's also William Vinson. We didn't put a bench out there with Adam's name on it. Um, and then this was this year's, um, with all of them. And, you know, when, when we first get out there, the kids are running around, like it is a cemetery and it's just like, it just, you know, it's everything to just say, you guys, you know, stop. Um, but they're kids, right? Um, and God knows that they're kids, right? He said, when they ask, he knows how he created kids to be. So, you know, we teach them to be respectful. Don't take flowers off of, you know, um, the stones, the things, headstones. Uh, but then we bring them together, and, and we had a really great conversation. I don't know if you remember hearing Adam talk about the questions that AJ had afterwards, like talking about, like trying to, you know, the Holy Spirit using that experience to um, to bring to mind, like, some questions that he has and working through some things. And um, so it's just a great way to make that a reality, the resurrection. Um, so the next thing I'm going to show you is more about the Passion Week leading up to the resurrection and some of the things that we do. Um, so we wash each other's feet um, like Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He taught a, a, a very great lesson about how um, if your leader is doing this for you or your teacher is doing this for you, shouldn't you also do it for others? And so we try to set it up to where like I end up, you know, washing Jen's feet. You know, I'm the leader of our family, but I'm washing her feet to to show that if I'm doing it for mom, that we should all do it for each other. Um, and Maggie's ended up um, a lot of times washing Jack's feet as well. Um, so it's just a great um, way to teach them. You know, here's what Jesus taught his disciples that week kind of leading up. Um, you know, when we first, when we talk about it now, nobody wants to wash dad's feet, right? Because you're a man, dad, and you have man, dad feet. And... It's the grossest thing on earth, you know, um, but uh, but they get over it because I make them. 
Um, so this was uh, this the one on the far left was this year Jack washing Jen's feet, and then these are just other times where we've done it. And there was one time where we went out and uh, intentionally got our feet muddy because Jesus tells Peter, "If I don't wash you, then you're not clean." And it's it's a reference to like him being washed in his righteousness, right, and, and made clean through his righteousness. And so he intentionally made the feet muddy and talked about how um, we have the righteousness of Christ now um, that covers us, that cleans the sin from us. It's, you know, not a perfect analogy there, but, you know, it helps them understand the importance of Christ's righteousness in, in that way. Uh, this next one is uh, what we call an Easter tree, and so we decorate it with ornaments, things that have to do with the Passion Week, and that kind of becomes our Bible study, family Bible study during that week, is looking at a certain ornament and talking about what it means and how it's connected with the story. Um, it looks so beautiful, doesn't it? Um, it's like the Charlie Brown Easter tree right there. Um, but um, so... We just grabbed some sticks from outside. We put a couple eggs on there, too, just to give a little splash of color. Um, and then we've got all sorts of different ornaments up there. Um, and then this is the first year that we had it and decorated it. And uh, Jack's stomach is there, too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's cheese. Um, and then this was this year's. So they were doing it, putting it together. Um and then the last one I have for Easter is we, uh, Easter morning, we get up early before the sun rises, just like the ladies who went to the tomb. We go outside, we sit down while it's still dark, and um, we've got like some treats again, because kids like the treats. Um, but And we also read through the different uh, resurrection accounts through the gospel. We've got like some music playing that's Christ-focused Easter um, resurrection music that's playing. Uh, we just kind of like talk about all the awesome things about the resurrection um so this was the first time that we did this is back at the apartment in griffin on the back porch didn't have a great view of sunrise back then but that's what you got so gotta go with it right um and then this was uh this wasn't this year um but this is one of the more recent years uh, we always get the sidewalk chalk out too and draw different things, pictures about the resurrection. And Jen always writes, he is risen at the end of the driveway. Um, just kind of like greet people. Um, hey, it's Easter. He is risen. Um, so she always does that. And just a fun time together early in the morning. That <laughs> that's, uh, that's me with my toupee on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Yes, it's me. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, stay on point here. Um, so that's something um, that we do as well as we wake up early. We talk about the ladies going to the tomb and how it's like they showed up early and they were prepared to, like, prepare his body, like, for burial. Um, and just, you know, the shock that it was that, he wasn't there anymore. You know, the stones there, the angels there, the soldiers are passed out, um, and and just kind of talk through that experience with the kids. Um, so this was kind of a list. Uh, I think that's tied on there as well. Um, and I think that's all the different thoughts that I had. Does anybody do anything for Thanksgiving? Anybody have any like? Christ-focused ways that you celebrate Thanksgiving, like tied to Thanksgiving? Um, I watched This Is Us a couple seasons ago, and they, like, pass the ball around, and they say, like, something that they're thankful for. Of course, in the episode, it got real awkward. But that's something that I've heard of other people doing. Like, you don't have to have a ball, but you just go around at the table, and you're like, this is something that I'm thankful for this year um and um i think one of the ideas that i put on there was to look for passages that talk about things to be thankful for or prayers of thankfulness that we see in scripture um and to really like let me take this week or this month even and let thankfulness be something that i focus on um, that i focus on reading through that i focus on getting better at and then when we celebrate thanksgiving together 
let's find some way to do it together, um, to share what we're thankful for. So I think even that can be something that we use. Any special occasion, again, is something is an opportunity for us to be intentional in finding ways to point our hearts um, towards Christ. So, um, I just thought of one. Yeah, what's that? We don't do it, but my aunt Eve always does it. She makes little Thanksgiving feathers. This is USA Weather. She makes little Thanksgiving feathers out of paper, and it'll have a scripture about thankfulness, but like all the words are mixed up, and everybody gets one, and we have to organize ourselves in it. It's fun and silly. <coughs> She does it for each one. She polishes, but she does it. That's good. Yeah, I mean, be as creative as you want with this, and that's one of the things that I really like about it. So, um, all right. Well, I'm gonna pray for us. Um, before before I I do, I want to just um show you this book. So this is a helpful book and. Thinking About Your Traditions, it's by John Piper's wife. Um, it's called Treasuring God in Our Traditions, and she shares a helpful perspective on traditions in their house. Um, there's even like half the book is devoted to actual things that they did as a family together. Um, so this is a, a great book to get if you're looking for a resource um, on how to be more intentional and creating Christ-focused ways to celebrate special occasions. So it's a good book um, to pick up, too. So I'll pray for us. Father, we are so thankful for this evening, for how um, you've brought things to light in our lives, how you've challenged us, um, how you've caused us to to think more intentionally about um, the ways that we celebrate, about the thought behind why we celebrate the way that we do. Uh, I pray that we'll leave here tonight with a purpose um, to be more intentional this upcoming year um, and to find ways to point not only our hearts but the hearts of others towards you in unique ways that that make um, what we believe, what we've placed our lives and our eternity in more real. Um, so I pray that you would um, just... Uh, Bring to us ideas, bring to us um, ways to think differently, um, to be more intentional. Um, and I thank you that um, that we can do this together, we can do this alongside of each other, we can share ideas with each other and inspire one another as, as a church family as we seek to be um, people who have um, an impact on future generations by the ways that we choose to celebrate our holidays um, and our traditions together. Um, Lord, we love you. Thank you for this evening, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this evening's discussion. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.savhope.org. Again, that is www.savhope.org.